We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Under threat from the impending Super League, UEFA get Euro 2020 off to a rocky start by pivoting to... Rocket League, this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, Euro 2020 Daily with Phil Costa. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That was a long, wordy title. This is not the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, Euro 2020 Daily with Phil Costa. This is just Euro 2020 Daily with Phil Costa, brought to you by Arsenal Vision, hosted by me, Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, I promise I will get used to that. Probably not. But yeah, uh, UEFA pivoting to Rocket League. That's what they're doing. And if you're saying, what is he talking about? Well, they teased it. They know that the Super League may rear its ugly head again and that their supremacy of European football may be under threat. So, uh, yeah, they had a remote control Volkswagen bug bring out the ball to start the first match of Euro 2020 between Turkey and Italy. And, um, yeah, after that, the only one that seemed to want the ball that they rolled out was Italy. We will discuss that with Phil, but before I introduce him, I just want to say uh, thanks for all the feedback for his preview. Yes, his knowledge is encyclopedic. Yes, I made a fool of myself by losing uh, sight of the fact that lots and lots of third-place teams can qualify for the knockout rounds. Uh, so don't worry, Portugal, Germany, and uh, France, you're all fine. So uh, panic over, but I am a worrier. That's why my friends call me Whiskers. Here with me is Phil. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Hello, Phil. Hey, Elliot. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. I mean, look, so people praised your encyclopedic knowledge of the game until these games kicked off and your dark horse team that you really like, Turkey, uh, opted to, it says here, not show up at all. How do you feel about that? Well, I've let everybody down, haven't I? Um, You've taken the pride just, out of it, Phil. <laughs> I've taken the pride out of it. You've let the fans down. <sighs> just really, really bad. I, I don't even know what that was. Maybe it was like opening day nerves or you know, just something wasn't quite working tactically, but, you know, I, I was quite big on, on Turkey going into the tournament, but that was not a good performance at all. And it's quite a surprising one and out of character one, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's bad about it is everything and we will get to that. Um, we'll probably do this one in the style of our, our normal instant reaction pods over on Patreon. But before we do that, just real quick on an Arsenal front, I didn't come away from this one desperate to sign Celik. I realize one game in an international tournament after a long season isn't a great way to uh, evaluate, but did, did you similarly feel... I mean, he wasn't the worst of their performers, but it certainly didn't inspire confidence. 
No, I thought particularly down Turkey's right, Italy's left, um, Spinazzola was was running riot, to be mm-hmm. honest. And, yep. you know, and he's not even, you know, considered such an attacking um, fullback. I mean, he's right-footed, first of all. Um, so he's, he's kind of a one-trick pony in that sense, that he's always going to look to come inside. I know he went on the outside a couple of times, but... Um, yeah, just, I mean, it was so out of character, which is, you know, what I mentioned before, because they only conceded three goals in 10 games in qualifying. Mm -hmm. You know, they were one of the most solid teams, um, you know, in in the whole qualification stage. And then, you know, that was just the structure from the midfield looked wrong. They were getting destroyed out wide, you know, Soyuncu and Demiral, who are usually like the, the two Titans at the back, you know, apart from a few good headers from crosses, they were just all over the place. And it was just really um, surprising from Turkey. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just a one-off or this is their level, um, but I I didn't expect this at all. Well, let's get to the headlines. And the thing I'll say is there are games where sometimes a good team is just too good for a less good team. And you can say, you know, well, Italy is a very good team. They are one of the top five favorites to win the tournament. And, you know, Turkey's not as good as Italy, but... I don't think this falls into that category. There was a lot of just dumb giveaways, passes out from the back, you know, loose passes that were easily intercepted. Low ball pressure combined with a low block meant that Italy could really do what they wanted to do. I, I didn't feel, I mean, Italy was fine, don't get me wrong, but I didn't feel that that Italy were just so imperious that Turkey couldn't withstand them. I, I thought they played their role in making Italy look good. So why don't you give me your headline uh, from the match? Well, I mean, my headline is that Italy make a statement. Mm. Um, they were on home soil today, granted, um, but they looked really at ease the whole game. I mean, they were never really troubled by by Turkey at all. Um, and even though it took them maybe a, a, a little while to get going on, on an attacking front in the second half, they were just destroying Turkey at every opportunity. And, you know, uh, a lot of people were were quite good on Italy, quite big on Italy going into the tournament. And I think this this result has done them no favours. So for sure, they've definitely put a marker down and said, look, this is who we are, this is what we're doing. And um, even if we're not considered the favourites like France or Portugal, we're definitely going to be up there. So um, I think for sure it's a, it's a great night for them. Yeah, it's definitely a game that I think makes Italy look good. And, and again, I think it depends how much of a fight you feel that that Turkey put up. I mean, in terms of a headline for Turkey, is it bad enough that you might now have to rethink them as a dark horse, or are you willing to say they're in Italy? It's the opening game of the tournament. A little bit of nerves in Italy might be really good. Or are you prepared to to write it off to that, or is this too poor a performance to not be really concerned about? Well, I mean, there's definitely sort of some from both camps. Um, at the end of the day, they can kind of. As as a team, I guess they'll be heading back to the drawing board, writing this one off as quickly as possible and moving on. But, you know, like you said, a performance that bad, um, this was basically their strongest 11. And and they did nothing. They really did nothing. What was the plan? Um, I mean, that, that was the hard part for me, watching it. Like, okay, you want to sit in a low block, but there was no ball pressure. And then they didn't really even spring counters very quickly or effectively. I, I couldn't really see how they thought they were going to hurt. Italy in this game I mean is this a classic we think we have a good defense and if we get out of here nil nil that gets us off to a good start I mean I I thought that was the plan um 
in technically in in Mary Demiral and, and Chala Soyuncu, they should have you know two guys who are willing to block heads, clear everything, and and obviously they have quality in Burak Yilmaz up front. But they had even guys like Yusuf Yazici, Hakan Chalanolu. I mean, they have talent. They can create stuff. Even Chengizunda came on in the second half, and but they did absolutely nothing. For me, the midfield structure was just all wrong today and that's where they lost the game because Italy have you know Jorginho, Nicola Bellella and Manuel Locatelli that's like you know uh, street clear of what they had in in Ozan Tufan and Okai Yokushlu so already there they've lost kind of lost the midfield battle but I was really disappointed in in the supporting cast you know the attacking players that I just mentioned um there was there was no real drive to to support Yilmaz into the box. Their ball retention was poor. You know, it was just I'm not sure what what the plan was. Um, obviously, you can your primary plan can be to defend, you know, and that's fine. Um, but they just had no ideas or or any any inspiration going forward, which is a big disappointment because you know I expected a bit more from this group because individually. Um, looking at these guys that all had impressive seasons, but they just really failed to to turn up on the day. I mean, they're not uh, huge scorers anyway, but yeah, I, was, I just came back from that game feeling really underwhelmed. Yeah, and I have to say that I think the sign that they thought nil-nil was the way to play is that when when they went behind, they folded. I thought their, their will went right out of them, and then it was very, very easy for Italy. Not that it was hard before that particularly... But it wasn't like Turkey said, all right, now we're going to come at you in battle to get back in the game. I think they knew the jig was up. So not a great look for Turkey. Just real quick in terms of Swales, uh, which is the game tomorrow, also known as Switzerland-Wales. When there's a big, heavy defeat for a team that might have been you know, a strong favorite to finish runner-up in the group, you think that sort of puts a charge into those teams, into Wales and Switzerland, who'll be looking now and saying second place in this group is definitely up for grabs. Wales has Turkey in match day two of this of this group. So how do you think that impacts the way they go into that game? No, absolutely. I mean, if one of those teams can can sort of take the initiative, like you said, and get a, get a three points on the board, then Group A looks very interesting, um, especially, like you said, because Turkey were considered kind of the second best team in the group. Um, you know, and it gives, you know, like you said, Wales or Switzerland a big initiative to say, hmm, okay, maybe... Let's not be so conservative and play for a draw, for example. We can go for something here um, and really put ourselves in the driving seat for this group. But then on the other side, you know, you can also think, oh, maybe we shouldn't push too much um, just in case we get caught. And, and you know, that's, that's a defeat on the board straight away. So it's a difficult one to balance. Um, me personally, I would look at it as the former, um, but I can understand that if you're a, a coach with a lot more on the line than me, um, you might see it, you know, in, in more of the, of the latter. So um, it, it's difficult. But like you said, I think there's definitely an opportunity for someone to go, look, we, we want to establish ourselves as the second best team in this group. And and why not? For me, it's uh, that's the way to go. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the interesting thing, Phil, is that like, I know that Turkey are supposed to be good defensively, but they they really looked lost, I thought, defensively. Keeper didn't look sound they you know they had trouble just kicking the ball out from the back so i mean if they can't if they can't do the basics at the back i think they're really going to struggle so we'll see what happens with this before we get into the, the stock rising and falling 
one other thing from this game is the way it was officiated and the way VAR was used. The first thing that always impresses me is like the minute you step outside of the Premier League and you look at VAR, it just seems like everybody else is able to implement it pretty well. Now, we can get to the controversy around how handball was called, but the calls were done quickly. Overall, I don't think there's a single one you're going to be particularly outraged about. There was, you know, just generally pretty solid refereeing, pretty good implementation of VAR that didn't really slow the game down particularly. I mean, I know it's one game and it's one instance and I could be eating these words by tomorrow, but is is this sort of a win for VAR in the sense that it was a part of this game but didn't wreck it and seemed mostly pretty competent? No, no, I agree. I thought the, the whole game actually was was refereed really well. I can maybe take issue with the handball that was not given just before halftime. Well, I do want to get to that specifically. Yeah. So yeah, why don't I mean, we dig I mean, into that? What, what's your take yeah. there? For me, that's a penalty. Um, mm. His hand is not close to the body. It's in an unnatural position and he stops the ball from from going into the box. I mean, I don't think it's intentional. Um, it's kind of a natural movement because he was trying to block the ball with his leg and the arms are sort of out swinging by his side with the momentum. But for me, nowadays in this current climate, it's a penalty for me. And I'm actually quite surprised that it wasn't uh, given after the, the VAR check. Um, yeah. But, you know, maybe they, they saw it differently on the day. But in general, I thought, I agree with you, it was it was managed and refereed really well. But that, for me, I would have given as a penalty, and I expected it to be given as a penalty. So I was quite surprised that it wasn't in the end. They did make a point to say that the rules have changed. As of July, the handball rule is being uh, officiated differently. And because this tournament goes into July, those rules apply retroactively. Because like everything with UEFA and football, everything's a little murky and hard to understand. Um, Now, look, expected goals, a very big popular data point now. Expected assists, something that people are sort of getting familiar with. Now we have expected position. Uh, Is the arm in the expected position? As with everything in the football laws, I feel like they could make this so much simpler. They make their life so difficult. Like, how many brainiacs had to get in a room to come up with something that doesn't actually clarify the rule at all? But I kind of get it in the sense, Phil, that like, the reason that's not a handball for me is that's kind of the position you'd expect a hand to be in if you're trying to raise your leg to, you know what I mean? Like, like short of putting your arms behind your back, which nobody likes and we hate that, Try blocking that cross with your leg without your arm leaving your side. You know what I mean? I think, and 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 actually, they had a Clattenburg come on for the uh, American broadcast. I assume you did not have Clattenburg, but no, no, every once in a while, a referee will tell <laughs> yeah. you something, Phil, that actually enhances your knowledge of the game. And Clattenburg said it's a soft arm because it goes up when the ball hits it. And what he was saying, and I thought this is fascinating, is if you're trying to handle it. Or if you're trying to block it with your arm, you'll actually kind of go down towards the ball. You know what I mean? Or up towards the ball, but you'll be using your muscles to get your arm into the way of the ball. And so when you when the ball hits your arm, your arm will sort of continue on its trajectory. But because when the ball hit his arm, it kind of flew up, you know what I mean? What he was trying to suggest is... The arm was resting in a position. It was not being used to try to block the ball. This is really kind of nuanced stuff, but I think that is interesting because um, like in the NBA, not to get too far off the beaten path here, when someone smacks down at the ball, so say you're holding a basketball in two hands, right? This is this is fun podcasting, Phil. Come with me here. Yeah, Come go with on. me on I'm this ready. journey. You're holding Educate. a basketball in yeah. two hands, and you go up to shoot. If I swat down, 
on your hands, the ball will continue to fly up. But if I swat down on the ball, the ball will go down. Do you follow me? Yeah. So referees, yeah. instead of trying to see if you hit the hand or the ball, they just see what the ball does. And I mm-hmm. like what Clattenburg's saying there, which basically I look at what his arm does, and that tells me it was in more of a restful position rather than that he's making a motion towards it. Again, we're already way off the beaten path, but bear with me. It's an international tournament. We're going to go into strange places here. I think what I'm trying to say is I'm kind of okay with that not being handball. And I think overall, if we had to lean towards those calls not being penalties versus some of the nonsense ticky-tack handball stuff that got Tottenham into a, a, a Champions League final, like, I'm more okay with this. Is that fair? Like, would you say if you had to pick what a handball is, wouldn't you want it to be more egregiously intentional than less intentional. Because once you take that intention out, I I feel like over the last couple of seasons, handball has just become a quagmire. No, no, absolutely. I agree. Um, and it's why I, I mentioned before in the, current, in the current climate, because as you said, it feels like there's at least one handball given every game that you kind of watch. And it's like, well, you know, is that really handball? Is it really intentional? Um, and actually, I agree with with your analysis or, or Clattenburg's analysis Good. in that the, the arm was, you know, it was out of the body, but it was not there to, to block the ball intentionally. It was more of the body movement yeah, and the arm following, right? It's kind of, yeah, it was following the momentum. Um, but I, as I said, in it, how it is now, how it's perceived now, I understand they've, they've tweaked the rules a bit, but for me on sort of second and third viewing, I was very surprised that they didn't give it. But as you said, I'm happy for that not to be handball because I, I think that way too many are given now anyway. Yeah, because ultimately what should be illegal is I use my hand to stop the ball, right? Like that's that's what should be illegal. Now, where unnatural position came in, I loved unnatural position as a way of adjudicating it because like if your arms are over your head, that's a handball. If your arms are out to your side waving like a mad lunatic, that's a handball. If your hand is kind of near your side and just where a body part goes when you're trying to jump or kick, again, it's natural. Now we've got expected position, and I imagine that before the end of this tournament, we will pull apart expected position to the point where nobody wants to hear those words ever used uh, uh, next to each other ever again. So be that as it may, all things being equal, I think we come away from this game feeling it's refereed pretty well, VAR was used pretty well, the rules look okay to me, and let's hope that stays for the tournament because the one thing that can ruin a tournament and we've seen this in the past, crazy refereeing, bad use of, of video replay. So moving on from that, uh, we'll do stock rising and stock falling. Then before we get out of here, we'll just look ahead to the fixtures tomorrow. And then as we have three fixtures uh, a day going forward, we've got a, a slightly different format that'll help encapsulate all of that. Today, we're doing a little more waffle because there's one game to talk about. So uh, what would you say is your stock rising? Who or what? Or, you know, is it, is it the remote control car or something else? <laughs> yes. Um, that was bizarre. I don't know what that was about. Um, just another chance. I'm telling you, they're pivoting to Rocket League. They know the Super League's coming. They got to have something. Yeah. It's happening. Um, well, for me, there's there's two I was kind of thinking about for stock rising. One of those is Roberto Mancini, just on a on a smaller level, because he's kind of been out in the wilderness since he left club management. Um, but I think people watching tonight will realize. Italy are no joke. Um, you know, they're a very well-oiled team. Um, so the midfield was excellent. They're quite decent going forward without having too much star quality. 
Um, so I think he's definitely a, a rising for tonight. But for me, my main one is, unfortunately, it's Jorginho. Um, Interesting. I, I thought he was brilliant today in the middle and he just basically ran the show uh, without having to run himself. You know, he was just in the right place there to knock it off, win the ball again, put it wide, keep it short. Um, and I was really impressed with him because at first I, I thought that he and Manuel Locatelli playing in the same team could be a bit like all stepping on each other's toes, performing a, a kind of a similar role. But he was really mature, just kind of stood back, um, didn't need to be the legs in that midfield, just got the ball, popped it off, uh, was clever to pick up the loose balls, put in challenges when they needed them on the counter. And it was just a really complete midfield performance. And I was really impressed with how he was kind of the senior head in there with the two young guys around him. Yeah, I I thought he was good. And maybe it's because sometimes in the tournament, my eye is more drawn to players that I don't see as much and don't know as well. I have to admit, I had a stock rising for Berardi. Is that an okay shout for you? I thought Berardi was good. I, I found him a bit wasteful mm. um, at times. And personally, for me, I thought Federico Chiesa would be starting. Um, but maybe they wanted some some left-footed balance on that side, for example, to, to cut inside. Um, I thought he was their biggest threat for 50 minutes. Um, and then after that, sort of Insigne and Immobile finally woke up and got themselves into the game. Yeah. But um, for sure, I thought Berardi was good. I thought he was the biggest threat when it was more of a game and when there was more to break down. And I agree that Jorginho came into the game and, and Immobile and Inzaghi. Uh, Inzaghi? Did I say that? You know what I mean. You did. Um, <laughs> it's okay. He's Italian. Uh, you know, Insigne, obviously, uh, came into it later. But... You know, yeah, he's he's a player that I knew less of. Uh, plays for Sassuolo, right? Um, yeah, so Sassuolo, yeah. you know, not someone I've seen a lot of, and and I I was impressed. Uh, and apparently, it's a good story. They were saying on the broadcast that like he was found playing five aside football in the park or something, and and hadn't been in an academy or anything. So always like to root for players like that. So okay, yeah. in terms of your stock falling, do you want to pick anyone other than the entire Turkish national team? I think I'll pick the. The two centre-backs, actually. Um, I thought they were all disappointing, and that includes the manager. But I expected big things from uh, Demiral and Soyuncu. They're kind of like the cornerstone of this team. They're the beating heart of this side, and they were just really bad. I mean, positionally, they were never close to each other. If you watch it again, they were always miles apart. Um, and let's say neither of them are particularly gifted in possession, um, but how many times did we see the ball given away, hit straight into touch, you know, turning back to the goalkeeper when the midfielders were like screaming for it? It was just really bad from those two. And, I, you know, part of what makes Turkey such an interesting prospect for this tournament is their defensive record. And I just found them wanting so much tonight on, on far too many occasions. Even the, even the own goal, I know Berardi hits it you know, very hard and, and from not too far away from Demiral, but I don't think he does enough to kind of move his body enough to divert the ball away. And it was just, yeah, I was really disappointed with them, but I thought particularly defensively, um, those two were bad. And, and even in midfield, Yokushlu, who um, spent the last, second half of last season with West Brom, I thought he was terrible as well. Um, he wanted no part of any build up, was moving away from the ball constantly, um, you know, did the pointing and shouting a lot, but he, he was, you know, hardly influential at all. And I think if you're going to be in that position of holding the midfield, 
starting the attacks. I mean, look at the contrast between him and Jorginho tonight, and it was massive, absolutely massive. Mm. Um, and I thought that was their sort of the spine of their team was a real sort of negative for them today. Maybe I saw it wrong, but they just felt like they defended so narrowly because the overlaps and the, the ball out into the wing, you know, just outside the penalty area seemed available the whole game. Um, yeah. I just don't, I don't know what the, the plan was. So yeah, not good. Um, and I, and I got to agree with you. I, I just thought for a team that had the reputation of being defensively sound and, and defenders that I've heard of, which is always a good start. Uh, it didn't come across that way. So not a good day or, or night, depending on where you are for Turkey, absolute perfect start for Italy in front of the home crowd. And, and I know it wasn't a huge crowd, but still great to hear actual fans in the stands, by the way. So let's look ahead to tomorrow. We touched on the, the next game in Group A, Wales, Switzerland. Um, tomorrow sets up for me like a quintessential get up, ignore my kids for breakfast, have Wales, Switzerland on, uh, <laughs> try to be a family man in the middle of the day for Denmark, Finland, and then tell my kids to take a nap or watch the iPad for Belgium, Russia. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure that you don't have the same luxury as this is your career, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Wales, Switzerland, I mean, easy to root for Wales for me because of Aaron Ramsey. Um, How do you see that game? I mean, I I think that could be a more fun game than maybe people are thinking. It's it's really difficult because we don't really know what to expect from either of these teams. I mean, you don't really know what to expect from any team um, because it's kind of like a clean slate after qualifying and after a long season. But, yeah, I, I could... Honestly, I find this one difficult to to call. But like you said, I think it could for sure be a, a fun game because, as we mentioned earlier, there's kind of initiative for them to 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 win because it would put them in such a, a good position. Um, I don't know. I've got I've got a little feeling about um, Wales being able to do something tomorrow. I'm not sure if that's just me being biased towards the home nation. And believe me, I know Switzerland and no mugs. They have a lot of established, uh, you know, not just Premier League players, but European European players um, who have kind of been here and done this before, whereas Wales have a, a very young side. Um, so who knows? I'm actually quite looking forward to it and, and not knowing what's going to happen because, like you said, the dynamic of the game has been changed slightly following, following tonight's result. Mm. Well, Group B is up after that, and Denmark-Finland play first. I mean, the expectation is that Belgium will Belgium will stomp through this group. So, if you're Denmark and Finland, your job is to is to win this game, right? Anything you want to do in this group, you got to win this game. You can't come away with a draw. You can't lose this game and go through. I mean, because I would imagine Russia are probably loosely second favorites here. Although you can correct me if I'm wrong. So, could that game be fun merely because both teams will feel they need to win it to have a chance to go through? I'm not sure. I would. I think I would consider Denmark the the second favourites ah, well, here. Well, there you go. Um, I mean, it's. I don't think there's much in it uh, between Denmark and Russia, but Denmark were were really impressive during qualifying. They were unbeaten. Um, they just finished one point behind Switzerland, who topped the group. So, I mean, they have a. If you look at the squad, there's no like real standouts, but there's a few young players that you know people should be looking out for, particularly in the attacking areas. Um, and I think um, obviously fit, this is a historic occasion for Finland and they'll want to um, make an impact and sort of give uh, their country a, a moment to, to be proud of and to remember. But I'm not sure. I think Denmark um, are, are stronger than most people think. Um, and I can see them winning winning tomorrow and putting themselves in a, in a, in a nice position again. 
um, especially having noticed that obviously Belgium take on Russia and they, they I mean, we most people will expect Belgium to win. Um, so maybe they can think this is like a good chance to get a jump start on, on their nearest rivals, you know? Yeah, well, then up after that, Romelu Lukaku gets a chance to remind the world that he's really, really good coming off a monstrous season. Um, I can't see any outcome other than Belgium going on to win. Uh, any update? I, I have to admit I haven't seen it about De Bruyne. He was rumored early on to to probably be missing this game. Have we have we heard what will happen with that? I mean, there's no official update um, yet. But, I mean, the, the talk is still that he's going to miss the game. Um, and I, I don't think... Belgium are in a position to need to rush him. Um, it might need a couple of tweaks here and there, but I think they have enough um, in the, within their ranks to be able to to play without him, or even if they need him potentially uh, later on in the in the game, then maybe he can be fit enough for the bench. But I think particularly with this with this kind of injury, there's no need to rush it if they if they feel he can be fit for. Um, their last two games but for sure like you said Lukaku is, is undoubtedly their their main goal threat and if you consider he's being flanked by you know Yannick Carrasco, Eden Hazard, Torgan Hazard um, you know he's got Tielemans behind him as well so there's more than enough uh, firepower there to be able to, to cope without De Bruyne. Well Eden Hazard definitely start for this team I mean like he's been I mean, you know, he's not had a season really, and no, he's no, looked no. out of shape at times. He's yeah. he's not been good. There's there's questions about whether he's maybe just done. He's got a lot to prove this summer. I, I I think certainly he will be motivated because I think the perception is that his career may be finishing up. But but what do you what do you expect Belgium will do about Eden Hazard? I mean, it's what you said. He he's not 100 percent fit. He had a thigh injury that ruled him out for for the rest of the season. I think it was like six or sort of six weeks kind of was the time frame. Um, but, you know, you never know with Eden Hazard when he's going to be able to turn it on. I mean, absolutely, he seems to have lost a yard of pace. Absolutely, he is maybe on the heavier side than he would uh, like to be. Who among us can't say that after the pandemic? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of always had that. Um, you know, his, his body shape in particular is quite sort of short and stocky. Um, you know, I mean, Arsenal fans or English football fans in general will need no introduction to his backside uh, after how many defenders have Francis Cochran certainly won't. <laughs> yes, no, no. Um, so I think he's kind of always had that heavier, um, you know, body type. But as I said, he's kind of like their joker in this competition because people might not be expecting too much from him. And all he needs is like 10, 15 minutes, or even if he's starting just one magic moment, you know, one crazy dribble through the middle or one assist. And you think, wow, like this guy, um, he's still got it, you know, even if he can't do it as consistently as he uh, would hope, you know. Um, but for sure, Belgium are, are still one of the most dangerous teams in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing them. I'm looking forward to seeing all of Eden Hazard, his. Uh, massive and prodigious rear end on the pitch and, and see if he can recapture the glory days. I think we can leave it there. Uh, the goal is to do these every day. Weekends will be a little hit, or, hit and miss, but we're going to shoot for this weekend since the tournament's just kicked off. And oh, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, uh, a country called England plays on Sunday. So uh, I hear there's a lot of interest in that. And we will certainly want to cover it. You should follow uh, Phil on Twitter at underscore Phil Costa. Thanks, Phil. 
No, no, my pleasure. Nice to nice to touch base again, and hopefully tomorrow there'll be a few more a few more talking points for us to sink our teeth into. Well, there'll be at least uh, 180 more minutes to cover, so that should be interesting to say the least. Um, I- I'm really excited to do this series with you, though. So we'll uh, we'll we'll hope for a great tournament and uh, lots of fun episodes. No, no, absolutely, good stuff. Excited to to be doing this as well. So hopefully we can give people uh, another angle or some more information that they wouldn't normally get from from watching. Yeah, absolutely. And just get people jazzed about the tournament. So that'll do it. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying the tournament. I hope you're doing well. Euro 2020 rolls on. And wherever you are, I hope it's coming home. Oh